people of God, is Christ worthy? He is. He is worthy. That's right. Absolutely. Um, well, as we enter into the final week of Advent, have you ever thought about the first person that ever wrapped gifts in wrapping paper? History recounts that the first evidence of wrapping paper was found in 2nd century China, where monetary gifts were wrapped in paper made from rice straws and bamboo flour, fiber. Uh, subsequent centuries would find less elegant solutions, people using whatever leftover paper they had around the house to cover gifts. But, but the wrapping paper that, that we know in America today, well, well, that came to us in 1917. Started with two brothers, Raleigh and Joyce Hall, who ran out of traditional white, red, and green tissue paper that was used to cover gifts. So invention being birthed out of necessity, they found colorful envelope liners from France, many of which had geometric shapes, floral designs, and Christmas motifs. And so that company's name, Hallmark, started selling this French wrapping paper and today, wrapping paper represents about an annual $3.2 billion industry. So the question that might arise out of a story such as this is, why the fascination with glitterly terrible paper? I'm, I'm sure we could all come up for many reasons why. But the reason that I find most compelling is that wrapping paper is actually a picture of Advent. Now hear me out. It, it outlines what we should expect. Wrapping paper gives the size, the dimensions, the weight, the substance. Wrapping paper brings about a, a greater anticipation. You're told to wait. You're told that good is going to come out of the waiting and that when you open that wrapping paper, you will find something that was worth the waiting. So as we continue our Advent series on He Is, we will now spend a couple of weeks in Hebrews where the author of Hebrews tears off the wrapping paper and reveals who Christ really is. So let's all stand as we read God's word together from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. It's printed in your bulletin. It's also in your pew Bibles. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray together. Father, we ask of you now to illuminate your word and truth by the power of your spirit to give us a greater picture of Christ, revealing through the preaching of your word the offices of Christ and his work to see that all that we would hope for would be found in who Christ is. And it's his name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Mm. So the book of Hebrews 
was written to a primarily Jewish audience who was waiting for the coming Messiah. You see, they had been waiting a long time for their coming gift. They knew some of the qualities of what the Messiah would be and what he would do. The prophets long ago and in many ways knew about the Messiah to come. They saw the wrapping paper. They had heard about the life of Jesus, but were unsure whether or not Jesus was truly the anointed one that they had been told that they should wait for. And because they had waited so long, they began to doubt that this Jesus, this person that they had heard about, was who he really claimed to be. After all, they, they had the angels to tell them. They had the high priest. They had Moses. They had the great kings of Israel. Why should they worship Jesus? So the writer of Hebrews here is making his case for who the Messiah is. And in doing so, he is unwrapping the glory of Christ. And in these first four verses is, is sort of the grand opus, the outline of what the writer of Hebrews will be spending the rest of Hebrews talking about. The three offices of Christ. Three offices of Christ. That this Jesus is, number one, he is the perfect prophet. Number two, he is the radiant priest. Number three, he is the king of kings. He is the perfect prophet, he is the radiant priest, and he is the king of kings. So, let's look at this text together and see first that Jesus is the perfect prophet. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The writer of Hebrews is reminding the people of God that God, our God, is a great storyteller. God revealed himself and the great story of what he would be to his people throughout all the ages. But like any great storyteller, God didn't tell them everything that would happen all at once. Rather, in God's wisdom, he told his story in the most creative way possible. Our, creative, our, our great creative God used the tapestry of nature, like the cloud that led the Israelites by day and the fire by night. He used symbolism, like the elements of the temple. And he used his people through the prophets to warn the people of God of their sin and call them to repentance before the living God. And what was the final reveal of this great story? Put yourself in the shoes of an Old Testament Israelite. Who would you imagine the coming Messiah to be and do? What do you imagine that this Savior would look like? What would you imagine that he is? And the fulfillment of God's perfect word is an unexpected gift that no one could predict. A baby in a manger. A child born in an unspectacular city in a seemingly unspectacular fashion. And yet, this child would be God's final revelation. His life would be the picture of God's complete word, come to life. This Jesus would preach the greatest sermon known in history. He would rightly interpret the prophets that, in such a way that even his enemies, even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, would flock to hear him preach the word. 
His gospel would carry the church in the book of Acts, divinely inspire the epistles, and in the final prophetic revelation brought to John, you see, God, Jesus Christ, is the perfect prophet to bring the true interpretation and fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the word made flesh and dwelt among us. You know, I believe that a lot of the chaos that surrounds us today in the world, in the flesh and the devil, is the eternal truth that, that, that we will continue to try and seek things outside of God's revealed world. We believe that life would be so much easier if we could receive signs, symbols, revelations that produces results that we can see. We say, you know, if only we had more words to tell us and show us where we need to go, well, then we would follow. It's the cry. You know, this is why so many prophetic voices show up on our screens, on our social media feeds, and lie to us about what the truth really is. But just like the Israelites longing for the pagan prophets to guide them, just like the Israelite kings who sought false wisdom from the sages, just like the constant cycle of misinformation that plagues our society, seeking any other kind of revelation other than the complete canon of Scripture will always lead us to disillusionment, depression, anxiety, scarcity, want, and death. You see, if God's Word, the truth, gives life, lies destroy life. But when we open up this book that God has given to us, we will see something amazing. Look at verse 2 again. Jesus Christ is the appointed heir and the creator of the world revealed from Genesis to Revelation. The word that is sufficient for us and all of life And as we devote ourselves to it, we see Christ and we realize that this is all that we could ever possibly need. You see, when you open up God's word, you will see its power because it is enough. The great 19th century writer and pastor J.C. Ryle wrote that no other book in the history of existence has had a greater impact on mankind than the Bible. And yet... No other revealed prophecy as widely disseminated, as largely mass-produced in the history of mankind remains neglected in the lives of those who profess to believe its very words. To quote Ryle, to have a Bible is one thing, to read it is quite another. Do you know that Christ is the perfect prophet? Then consider what he has to say about himself And what he has to say regarding his perfect salvation bought for his church. Do you believe that he will do what he said that he will do? Then go to your perfect prophet. And there you will find truth. And there you will find in the perfect prophet's word, you will find life. From the perfect prophet here, the writer of Hebrews shifts to speak not only about Christ being the perfect prophet, but in verse 3, Christ being the radiant priest. The phrase, he is the radiance of God's glory, would have struck the Jewish audience that Hebrews was written to. Because they remembered in Exodus about another prophet, priest, and kingly figure. See, Moses 
after hearing God speak to him, comes down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the law, and Moses' face was so radiant with the reflection of God's glory that the people were even afraid to look at him. You see, God's glory shining so brightly, his power and his might so overwhelming that even a mere reflection of his glory on Moses' face causes those to see it to tremble in fear. And so Moses would be the one time and time again to be this priest, this intercessor for the people of God, praying on their behalf so that God would be merciful to them. See, Moses was considered to be a radiant priest, but his radiance was derivative. It was radiance, in other words, because it was reflective of God's glory on his face. But for Jesus here to be the radiance of God's glory means that the writer of Hebrews intends us to see not just a corollary between Moses and Jesus, but you see the writer of Hebrews goes even one step further. Rather than the radiance being reflective of God's glory, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, actively shining God's glory because he is God himself come in flesh, the exact imprint of his nature. And the exact imprint isn't just making a claim that Jesus is you know, sort of a part God, sort of one of the Trinitarian errors, but, but as Craig preached last week, Jesus is all God. And so if Moses was to be feared because of the mere reflection of God's glory shining on him, then how much more awesome, how much more wonderful, how greater would the glory of God be shining on the face of the resurrected, glorified God-man, Jesus Christ? How much greater is the priestly, intercessory work of Christ, who as the last high priest not only pleads for us, but offers up his own life as sacrifice to make satisfaction for all sacrifice. How dazzling and bright would that be? How would we never tire of its glory and radiance? You know, last, uh, last week, actually, um, Paige and I and uh, Paige's uh, parents, we got, we got a chance to visit for the second straight year the lights show at James Island County Park. And I have to admit, the first year I came here, right, I was this tourist, this stranger from Maryland coming into Charleston, and when I saw the James Island County, County Park light show for the first time, I was just blown away. Like, wow, all these different designs, the colors, the creativity, the, the radiance of that light. And I was just so excited to share that with Paige's parents this year. So we got in a car and we took them down to the light show on a Saturday night during peak hours, two weeks before Christmas. In hindsight, many mistakes were made. It took two hours just to get inside. All right, with cars honking and people screaming and huge Ford F-150s blocking our tiny Honda Fit from capturing the same views that we got last year. But more importantly, you know that feeling that I got last year? The, the majesty, the splendor, the creativity, that, that joy just didn't hit the quite same way this year. It dwindled. It just simply couldn't match the experience of what I saw the first time, the, the radiance dwindled. And, you know, there was part of me that was left wondering, 
where's the next experience that we can go to? So maybe I can get that same feeling again. Now, why does this happen to us? Because nothing that we proclaim as glorious will ever be able to capture our attention for long in this world because it was never intended to in the first place. Nothing created could ever match the glorious nature of God and His radiance. No concert experience, no national championship game, no stage play or artistic piece could ever capture our hearts and mind and soul forever. The brightest lights on the biggest stages can only hold our attention for so long before we find ourselves trying to look for something that will beat it. And then we spiral, maybe even trying to become our own radiant priest apart from God, trying to move from spiritual experience to spiritual experience, trying to make atonement for our own sacrifices and our own sin, trying to purify and clean ourselves. Or we can listen to Scripture. We can try and see redemption in a great high priest. You know, um, sometimes the mistake that we make is that we try to find this priestly figure in an earthly priestly figure. You know, every generation has their supposed, supposed greatest preacher. But our great, best and greatest is only a shadow of a radiant priest. It's only the great high priest making the final purification for sin, tearing the veil in two, and opening us up the access to the Father that we find our eternal joy and eternal delight and eternal hope, a radiant glory that will never die out. So after Christ being our perfect prophet and our radiant priest, we finally see this morning that Jesus takes his rightful place as the king of kings. Look at verse 3 again. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, this is a place reserved for the highest honor, authority, and power, seated because kings sit when the kingdom is at peace. The king of kings is able to rest because the victory has been won. Our king is a conquering king. Our king is a victorious king. Our king reigns over all. For the Old Testament people search for Messiah, this was the anticipated endgame. This is why Jesus' disciples are fighting over each other to try to be at Jesus' right hand. This is why at the resurrection moment, the first question his followers ask him is that if he would restore the kingdom of God. The hope of the Messiah's work is that he would always rule and reign, and that sort of all the fighting, all the wars, the endless debates on theology, the enemies, and the evils of existence would all finally be put to rest forever. The king would finally be able to bring peace and take his seat. That from the north, the south, the east, and the west, there would finally be no conflict. You see, this image in the Old Testament, when, when God rests on the seventh day, it's, it's not a Sabbath because he's tired. It's a Sabbath of a rest in rulership over all that he had created. The expectation of the king of kings is that he would be the one to model that kind of peace. And so the Old Testament people desperately tried to look everywhere for this king. They tried first with Saul. 
then David, then Solomon. Then they split into two nations and try to have two kings at the same time. And then ruler after ruler after ruler after ruler after ruler only led them to exile where they went to such ruin that it was not their own kings ruling over them, but pagan kings. They were left in the ashes of the kingdom that they tried to build for themselves, and there was no peace. I mean, how could it have been? You see, they didn't know who the Messiah was going to be, so they tried to look for him everywhere he was not. And the message of the Old Testament is not that we look back and think, boy, those Old Testament people were so foolish. Because for us today... We know exactly who the Messiah is and where to find him in Scripture. And yet we sometimes still, just like the Old Testament people, try to look for him everywhere he is not. We try and pursue other prophets, podcasts and news outlets that lie to about the future that waits us. We we try to pursue other priests or even try to make ourselves a priest. We try and pursue other kings political leaders and figureheads that promise the peace that we so desperately long for in these times. As long as we devote ourselves to them. And then what what do we find? We find ourselves only to be wrecked every day by these temporal kingdoms that will crumble under the weight of expectation that they could have never fulfilled for us. Expectations that only Christ as our great king can fulfill. We try and find the Messiah everywhere he is not when he is right here, right in these four verses. So the question for us, maybe a little self-examination for all of us, including myself, who are your false prophets? Who are your false priests? Who are your false kings? And who is Jesus Christ to you? We are in this Advent series entitled, He Is, because above all else, the heart of the leadership here at Redeemer Presbyterian is that we would all know Jesus for who he truly is, that we would live our lives in the reality of who he is, that when we hear the voices of false prophets, we would hear first and foremost the voice of our Savior. When we try to offer up endless sacrifices in hopes to appease our Father, we turn away from those things and rest in knowing that our Savior has made atonement for us as our intercessor and our advocate. That when we hear the cries of false kings offering us the world, we would reject them and we would remember our victorious King who has come and is coming again. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. As we end our time in Advent, coming this Friday for our Christmas Eve, we pray for all of you that the Spirit of God would unwrap Christ. All that you ever would hope for and imagine, all the dreams that you dream about fulfillment and joy, all your love and passion for would be found in our great prophet, priest, and king. You see, all that we're searching for He is. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the perfect prophet, the radiant priest, the king of kings, Jesus Christ, your son. We pray that we would be be remembering, Lord, the glory that is due to his name. 
Lord, we pray that we would reject the false prophet, priests, and kings. We would turn to this magnificent Savior. And Lord, that as we wait for Christmas morning, Father, we would be reminded of all that Christ has already done for us. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name.